Hey everyone, welcome back. I think this is going to be the final episode of of this little series on discipleship that I've been working through over the last several weeks. And not only have you been hearing me talk about discipleship here on this podcast, but there have been uh, many weeks of our sermon series called Cultivate that's been focusing on developing a discipleship culture here at Sacred City Church in Moline. And so I want to wrap this up and be able to point our attention to other things, although I've really enjoyed this and I've, I've enjoyed um, having these conversations, I guess one-sided conversations. I've enjoyed talking at you about discipleship. And uh, and what I wanted to do today is sort of tie up some loose ends, talking about two things um, that I think are essential in discipleship. And then at the end here, I'll give you a tool that I developed that I think could be helpful. It's not a silver bullet. It's not going to make discipleship easier or just come naturally or anything like that, but it, it might be helpful, uh, to give you a framework of how do we grow as disciples of Jesus. So before I get to that, let me, let me tie up, uh, a couple of things that I think are essential uh, in discipleship, things that have to be present. If we're really going to make disciples, if we're going to grow as disciples of Jesus, these two things need to be present. Number one, I mean, there's more than this. Obviously, you need the Spirit, you need the Word of God, you need community. Those are things. Now, now I'm talking about a couple other things that I think are really important. Number one is imagination. Christian imagination specifically, the ability to envision a future that is is just caked with the glory of the Lord in our lives and in the lives of other people. So uh, in order to do that, we, we have to see the future. We got to be able, and, and I think this really relies on leaning into the promises or or the, the commands of scripture where, where we're given a command to do this because we are this kind of people, um, a, a kind of people that is holy because our, our father in heaven is holy. And so we have the ability to envision what would that be like if my life, if I, if I totally believed everything Jesus said, what would my life look like if I totally, um, gave myself to obedience in the way of Christ? What would my life, what are, what are the, um, characteristics of that life? What are the things that I would be doing? What, what are my attitudes? What are my relationships going to be like? What is my general demeanor going to be like as I, I lean into that and experience the glory of the Lord, infiltrate my life and just blow up in, in big ways. And so it requires the ability to envision that future. And I think scripture is just loaded with all kinds of, of fuel for the fire of Christian imagination of, of envisioning. I mean, you break this down like this, um, to envision what I would look like if I totally trusted Jesus to envision what my family would look like if we were totally rooted in the love of Christ to envision the kind of brotherhood and camaraderie we would have in our missional communities. If we were really the kind of family that God says that we are this blood bought family that's together, not just for now, but for eternity and the kind of people that we would be in the city that that's doing good, that's building businesses and and fighting injustice and and fighting you know even through avenues of, of politics and and education of bringing uh, the best out of the people around us through uh, the word of God and and discipling others in the way of Christ. So that requires some imagination, the ability to envision what's not yet. Now Jesus says. 
And, and all of this rides on the word of God, the ability to have this Christian imagination, because it's not like we're generating something in ourselves or we've got to come up with, with new ideas. The Lord gives us these ideas. We just need to see what they are and, and kind of um, superimpose those things over our current circumstances and ask for the Lord to bring this about. And the way this gets brought about is by faithful obedience to the word of God, of understanding what God is after and giving ourselves to that thing. When Jesus came, he says that he had the ability to give life, that, that as the son of man, he could give life. And he, he came to give life to the fullest. And so what we're doing here in envisioning, uh, having this Christian imagination, we're envisioning what life to the fullest would be like, how it would be full of love and hope and compassion and joy and all these glorious things that we as Christians say we're about, but then actually pursuing them in real tangible ways. So Christian imagination is is essential. It's 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 giving us this this sense of telos, what we're aiming for, what we're moving toward, and having this vision of if Jesus were living my life, what would it look like? And that gives us a sense of Christian imagination, and that works not just in on the in individual basis, but but what would it look like in my home? What would it look like in my missional community, in our church, in our city? Um, and move from this this um, personalized sense to a a larger communal sense of of a Christian imagination for what God is doing in our place. And as we envision this, in order to move toward that, um, what we need to do is to be able to take the current reality, how things currently are in real time, and compare that to the future that we are envisioning with our gospel eyes, our gospel imagination. And as we look at the differences between the two, it's like you got two different pictures and you need to compare them against it. You know, as a kid, you had those those activity pages that say, find five differences in this page or whatever. You know, that's kind of in this picture. That's kind of what this is. Like the current reality versus the future. F find five different things. Find the, the things that are different between these two things. And now you start asking, why are they different? What at the core makes these things different? And pursuing um, the, the changes that will make the difference uh, so we can realize the Christian imagination of what God's really calling us to be like. And, and what I would say that this is the second thing. So first is Christian imagination. Second thing is repentance. Repentance and faith is key in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot grow in your identities. You cannot grow in your gospel identities without repentance, without believing who you truly are and forsaking and turning away from the false identities that we tend to live in. Repentance is key. Martin Luther says when the, uh, what he says, um, he says the sum of the Christian life are these two things, faith and repentance. It's like um, two sides of the same coin. That's what, what it is. To believe the truth means that you forsake the lie. To, to believe this is your identity means that you forsake your false identity. You turn from those things. So as we're, we're comparing um, the current reality to the future that we envision, there are things that we are going to have to turn away from and turn toward God in, which is called repentance, that turning and forsaking of, of sin, of wickedness, of, of the things that are not good and beautiful and true, and then turning to cling on to the things that are, in fact, good and beautiful and true, the things that do bring God glory and do uh, promote righteous living. And so repentance is essential in the Christian life. And so many people hear the word repentance and think it's a dirty word, to think it's like... Um, to think that it means um, you're failing 
um, and and you have to admit it. And and there's a sense where, yeah, to repent means say, yeah, I've missed the mark, I've sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God. But the thing about repentance is, it means that you're not okay staying there. It means that I'm not okay staying in my old ways of living in the flesh. Um, I want to live into the the full life that Jesus has afforded for me. And so I turn to forsake the old things so that I can walk according to the way of Christ and the new things which he has achieved for me has brought me into. And so repentance is a glorious thing. Um, Sin is a bad thing, which is what we're turning away from. But repentance itself means that we're turning toward what is true and glorious and so therefore repentance is a is a great thing it is a good thing it is something that in our life in community and on mission um, personally and communally that we should be comfortable doing um, personally going to God and confessing our sin and saying Lord I'm turning from these ways give me your spirit help me restore me um, move me in a Christ word direction but also um, demonstrating repentance having repentance um, in the context of community you've sinned against somebody you you've broken relationship, you've said something, you've done something that, that is not gracious or, or does not, um, that, that violates God's commandments, then repentance is something that actually restores life, that moves us towards uh, the, the future that we have, that we envision with our Christian imagination. And so you cannot have discipleship without repentance. And so we have to have both the, the, the Christian imagination to envision the future and the repentance, which, which helps moves us from where we currently are to the, the future that we're envisioning. And so those are the two things that as I think about discipleship um, that are really essential, that are that we have to have. Um, and, and you're not going to read about those often. You're going to re- read about repentance as part of discipleship, of course. But but the part of, of repentance of as far as envisioning the future, of, of seeing the telos of what we're moving toward, that's typically not something you find in books in discipleship. But there is a glorious future that we're moving towards. There is something greater out there that we're in pursuit of. And that has a, a power... It's a powerful motivation tool. It's not just you're motivated by guilt and shame and those things, which th- th- those things in themselves have some certain um, motivating characteristics, right? If if you're if you feel guilty, um, you can either you can either try to cover up your guilt or you can seek um, absolution from your guilt. The same thing with shame. If you feel ashamed, you can either try to cover that up, hide it, um, or, or or create a new standard where the things that make you feel shameful. Um, are no longer shaming, which is what what culture does all the time. It takes sin and evil and, and calls it good, and so it's trying to minimize the shame that people feel. Um, you can do that, or you, when you feel shame, you can run to Christ and see that you're clothed in His righteousness, that your shame is dealt with, um, and so that that that's part of how. Uh, our, like we're motivated um, in our discipleship. Those things are God's, uh, we're provoked by guilt and shame. Like it's a grace from God that we feel guilt and shame. Um, and they can motivate us, but I do think one of the greater motivators, the, gr- the greatest thing is glory, um, beauty, uh, the aesthetic of, of, of something that is magnificent before us and the pursuit of that thing. And I think that's what motivates, um, really, uh, glory motivates us in ways that we don't understand. Um, glory motivates uh, the football player who wants to win the state championship. Glory motivates the, the musician who wants to put on uh, a beautiful concert and have the applause of men. Glory is what 
what motivates men to go out and produce and and be able to uh, attract a woman so that he can build a family and see the glory of her femininity and the glory of his masculinity combined and see the glory of God on display within the household. So glory motivates us uh, in a really profound way. And so rather than leaning into, I mean, again, shame, guilt, um, the feeling of inadequacies, they have a way of motivating us, but the, what, what really draws us to, to the best, um, is the, the vision of glory envisioning that, um, which is life to the fullest. And one of the things that um, I came to realize years ago was um, how, how that's true and how often we overlook these things. And and what I did, um, this is probably, I don't even know, probably a decade ago, I came up with what I call the discipleship development plan. It's like a one sheet piece of paper. Um, and it's and it's nothing fancy. There, there's, it's not a silver bullet. There's nothing, you know... Uh, it's, it's just a piece of paper asking questions and it's trying to help you, um, do two things simultaneously. Ask what, what is God calling me to be? Like what, what, who is like for me in my case, um, what is the version of Sam that God is calling me to be and what needs to happen in order to pursue that? So here, here's how this works. I'm going to talk you through it. If you want a copy of this, I'd be happy to, to email this to you. You can email me for a copy at Sam at sacredcitychurch.com. I've used this with my missional communities in the past. I've used this with, um, fight clubs. I use this for myself. Um, when I kind of come to a spot where I'm not exactly sure what, what's going on in my own discipleship and, and, trying to get a better picture of what God's trying to do, um, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll prayerfully work through one of these pages here and, and ask these questions. And a lot of times um, the Spirit uses this to help me kind of set my sails in the right direction. So the first part of this discipleship development plan is to imagine, again, coming back to the Christian imagination, what does the most Christ-like version of myself look like? I'm asking the questions. If Jesus was living my life, what kind of things would I see and do? Um, if Jesus was living my life... Um, what sort of characteristics would I be marked by? What are, are the rhythms? What are the disciplines that I would be giving myself to? What's my attitude? What, what would my relationships look like? And so I'm just sort of going through and asking this question of what would it look like? Uh, that what would the most Christ-like version of myself look like? And then I start reflecting. This is where you're comparing and compra- contrasting um, the reality of the situation to uh, the future that I hope to be- see become a reality. And so I reflect on what areas of my life seem to be most out of line with that vision. So if I'm thinking, okay, I think that um, the most Christ-like version of myself would be joyful. I think I think that I would find uh, an ability to find God's grace in everything, um, to see His blessings, His undeserved kindness. I would be able to see God's work in the lives of other people and be able to celebrate those things. Um, I'd just be marked by a sense of joy. I think as the most Christ-like version of myself, that's true. Um, and so, but. I tend to find myself being kind of grumpy or kind of um, irritable, irritable, or um, I, I critical, or or those those things that I, I can tell like it doesn't seem compatible with joy. And so I'm I'm identifying those places. I, I must have a, a critical spirit. So I'm going to say. My critical spirit seems to be out of line with that. Now, then I move to the next question of what is God inviting you to focus on growing in right now? Um, and so maybe maybe that thing that I, I identified, there's a couple of them in there, and, and I want to sift it down to one or two. And I, I do think it's helpful to 
to be really specific and focused in these things and not be generic. The more generic you are about this stuff, the less helpful this tool is. The more specific you get, the more helpful it can be. And so asking, uh, after you identify a few things that you're most out of line, if w- what is the, the thing that you need to focus in growing in right now and being specific about that? Now, we can, we can leave it at behavior thing, but one of the things that we've, we've talked about in this podcast is talking about how um, discipleship is more than behavior modification. Discipleship gets down to the heart. And so we not only want to identify the sin, because grumbling is a sin, we're command, commanded not to sin or not to grumble, um, and yet we do it. So there's that sin of grumbling, but, but we want to get to the sin that is underneath the sin. What is causing my grumbling in the first place? What's, what's the thing that's, that's promoting the that sinful behavior. It's, it tends to be a heart disposition and, and what is going on with that there. And the next question that I want to bring myself to, to reckon with is to ask, how has that sin, how has that demeanor, how has the heart motivation affected my relationship with God and others? This goes back to, to David in Psalm 51, when he says, against you and you alone have I sinned, O God. Um, and then this is, of course, is after he's, he's, um, you know, his whole ordeal with Bathsheba and, and, and Uriah and, um, you know, that, that whole ugly situation. But he says, my sin has affected my relationship with God. Well, how is that? How is that the case? And how has that affected other people? Because sin does affect other people. Not only it affects yourself, especially if you think of you about yourself as a member of the body of Christ and you're, you as a member of the body of Christ are nestled up against another member of the body of Christ, your sin is going to have negative effects on them as well. And so you want to go through those. What ways have, have I affected relationships with God and with others? And then we move from the the imagination to reflection into the repentance stage. I need to ask myself, what wrong beliefs and actions call for repentance? In other words, what sin, both of the heart and of the the body, of the activity, um, do I need to repent of? And so, that repentance is ultimately directed toward God. But, but again, as you're a member of the body, there's probably other people who are affected. So do I need to go and repent to them as well? Uh, an example of this, the other day, uh, this couple of weeks ago, I was in a meeting and I, um, my emotions got the best of me. It was kind of a contentious discussion. And, uh, so I let, I let a discussion, we were discussing, discussing a topic and I allowed the topic to become personal. And I, I said something as a direct, rather than dealing with the topic, I said something as sort of a, a, an attack on somebody. And I needed to not only repent to God for that, but I needed to go repent to that individual. And because I, I, I sinned in a public manner, I needed to actually go back to that group that was there and ask for their forgiveness forgiveness too. acknowledge my sin and tell them I, I repent of it. I'm going to, I'm going to seek to do better in the future, uh, by God's grace and, and repent it to them. And so there's going to be things that, that the Lord exposes the spirit brings conviction in that you're going to need to repent of, um, both to God and to other, other people. And so who, who is that? And what are the things you specifically need to repent of? Again, repentance should be specific because we sin in a specific way. So I'm not just repenting for or being um, ha- having uh, a lack of temper, I'm I'm repenting or uh, for a la- like the specific thing that I did in that situation. And then the next question I need to ask myself is, what does repentance look and sound like? So uh, again, this gets kind of into what am I going to say? Um, how's it going to come across? How do I need to repent, repent of this? And and, and this can um, helpful ideas or things to think about in this 
are to think about how, how do I take responsibility for my sin and not push the blame on other people? So I want to be careful that I'm taking responsibility for my sin and not saying I did this because you did that. Now that might be a case, but the cause and effect of, of sin, um, that whatever they did bumped you and exposed the sin that was already in your heart. So it could have been them or it could have been somebody else that, that was that bump in your life and, and the water of, of your heart spilled out and it turns out it was dirty water. And so I need to take responsibility for the dirty water, the sin of my heart, um, and, and take ownership for that and repent in a way that looks and sounds like I am taking ownership of that. It's my sin. Uh, forgive me for that. I've taken it to the Lord. And then here we are invited into, um, after we come to repentance, there's, there's opportunity for faith to be acted upon. In fact, I, I would say repentance is a, is a faith that's, if we didn't have faith, there would be no reason to repent. We could just stay stuck in our ways, but because we have faith, um, God leads us, um, in a faith filled way, leads us to these greener pastures. He leads us to the place of still waters. And so there's opportunity. Faith tells us that there's something better on the other side of repentance. And we're told in scripture that it's times of refreshing. And so we go to moving into a place of, as I repent, here I am believing and surrendering in the goodness of God, right? I'm believing the gospel. I'm surrendering um, to the way of Christ. And so I'm asking myself, what does the gospel say and how does this point me to Jesus? So I'm looking to how do I, how do I apply the gospel to this specific sin that I've just confessed of? And then with that, there, there's questions I'm asking, what truths or promises can I hold on to? And I'm thinking about the future as I'm, I'm learning to walk faithfully the next time I'm tempted to act in this way, what are the truths or the promises that I can hold on to? Whether it's for me, it was like learning to, to be slow to speak and, and quick to hear, um, or, or not being the first one to speak or, or seeking understanding. There's, there's commands, there's promises, there's truths that God says, this is wise for you to do. And I need to remember those things as I move into the future. And then of course, this prompts me because in myself, I'm incapable. In my own strength, um, I'm going to fail time and time again at trying to be better. And and what God invites us into is surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit of God to take over in our lives, to be um, to be subject to Him, and letting the Spirit lead us into righteousness. And so I ask, how can you lean into the Holy Spirit in this activity? And then the following thing is, is as you're led by the spirit, you take action. What are the next steps? What are you going to do next? And what are you, um, when will you do them? And so you're, you're, again, you're putting a time frame on this. What are you doing and when will you do it? And it's more helpful to be specific about these things. So, um, a lot of times to take action, the first thing is I need to re- repent to this person or to these people. Um, that's, that's an act of what I need to do in order to restore fellowship. And then, and then the next thing that I need to do in the case that I just presented to you, I I need to learn to be slower to speak. I need to temper my emotions. I need to to take some deep breaths. I need to remember the promises of God. What are what are those things that you need to do in the future and when will you do them and be specific about them? And then of course, giving yourself some time, uh, giving yourself someone to be accountable to. Um as you set out to do these things, they say, yep, I'm going to do these. Well, then actually tell tell them what you're going to do and when you're going to do it by and let that person hold you accountable. Again, this is part of discipleship. It, it has a level of accountability that we must um, lean into together. 
And so I've put together this thing, and I'd love to share it with you. If you think your fight club would benefit it, maybe your missional community, um, I, I've toyed around with the idea of developing a curriculum some similar to this, of, of talking through this tool and helping missional communities kind of think through um, creating a discipleship development plan for themselves and for one another. And then, of course, th- this tool really only works for uh, if you come back and revisit it on a regular basis. Uh, and in, in this tool, I say, you come back in, in four to six weeks and celebrate the growth because as we grow as disciples, um, we ought to be celebrating the grace of God in our lives where he's changing us from that one degree of glory to the next, where he's he's changing us to be more like Jesus. And every time we see these evidences of grace, we ought to acknowledge them in in each other's lives. Hey man, I see the way God is changing you. I see how he's making you a better husband. I see how you're contributing more to missional community. I see how you've been serving this neighbor in your life. And and we want to celebrate those things and celebrate the growth and then give updates and then just continue seek God to keep changing us in these areas. And so that, that is the tool in a nutshell. On the back side of the page, I kind of work through the stuff that we've already talked about in the previous episodes about identities and rhythms. Um, we're asking about, you know, maybe who you're intentionally pursuing on mission. That could be a thing. You, if you're not on mission, you're sinning. And so part of your discipleship development is to become a better missionary, become who you truly are in Christ. And, and working through some of the mental barriers and the heart barriers that are in the way, the sin that keeps you from living like a missionary, and then giving you a clear path forward. And maybe the other part is, is reflecting on the fruit of the spirit or community life together. Um, how are you doing? Are you, are you, uh, is your life marked by joy and laughter? Are you, let's see, are you being faithful to God and the vows that you have made to him, whether that's, uh, your marriage, church membership, um, the re- working relationships that you have with people? Um, do you have self-control? Are you able to successfully fight temptation? These are questions that, um, that can help kind of in that area of, of reflection on your life um, that that give opportunities for growth. And so when we see these places in our life, we're certainly, we can always grow in things. No, Nobody's perfect. We, we aren't Wesleyan. We're not perfectionists where we think that you eventually reach a state of perfection in this life. That's not a thing. You will be glorified. Uh, when Jesus comes, he will glorify all of his bride and we will be restored from sin. It will be no more. But until then, we're always going to have things that we can grow in. And we want to we want to grow in things ourselves and we want to help other people grow in these areas and as well. And so this, this combination of, of Christian imagination and repentance and faith and using a tool like this discipleship development plan can be very helpful in our pursuit of becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. If you want a copy of this, shoot me an email, sam at sacredcitychurch.com. I'd be so happy to share this with you. It's been helpful for me and I, I've heard helpful things come back from uh, some people that I've done this with in the past. And so I think it might might be a good resource for you. Whew, that was a longer episode. That's it for this series. We will be turning to something else here in the next week. Uh, I pray you guys will have a great blessed week this week, and I can't wait to see you on Sunday as we worship the Lord together. God bless.